You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, Are you ready to uh, have a Bible study today? You ready to get into God's Word? You got your Bibles out? Get your Bibles. Hold them up. Let us see them. The Word of God. Man, what an amazing privilege we have to have the Word of God in our hands. If you don't have one, just raise your hand and the ushers will be happy to give you one. And you're going to want to find your way to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're also having communion today after the end of the service, so prepare your heart for that. The communion table is set. Matthew chapter 8. Here's what's happening as we kind of make our way through the book of Matthew. Jesus was baptized and he came onto the scene and uh, he went into the wilderness to be tested and he was proven for 30 years of his life. He lived a life as a regular human being. Facing everything that we have to face, just as a natural man. Never used any of his divine powers in any way for himself. Just lived as a natural man for all that time. Then he's baptized, and he goes up in the wilderness. He's tempted. And he comes down, and he begins his ministry. And he starts his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount. And for the last several weeks, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. The most profound, life-giving words ever spoken. I mean, incredible wisdom. Just uh, 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 words that bring life to the soul. And uh, if you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount, if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to to the messages online and read your Bible. I mean, just profound. And Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount with what we call the values of the kingdom. Uh, it's what he, it's how, it's the values that he has for his house. It's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. All of us have values in our life. When we come into your, when, when you come into your house, when people come into your house, uh, you have certain values, right? Like you don't walk into the house with muddy shoes. Uh, you don't, uh, throw things against the wall, I hope, uh, we have values. Uh, some of you have values and they're in your house and you, put them in various ways. It's like, you know, love is welcome here and all who enter are family. And you know, you just, uh, you get what I'm saying. We have values in our house. Well, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts with the values for his house. And these are his values. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit, those who don't think they're just the most amazing thing and so slick and smooth and just so impressive and hey, right back at you, babe, right? I mean, no, 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 no. Poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn that we realize, wow, Lord, I'm not the man I want to be yet. I'm so thankful that you give me something to shoot for and something I'm growing to become and I think you working in my life and I mourn the sin in my life. And I want to be more like you, Lord. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for the things of God. For they shall be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart. 
for they shall see God. You say pure in heart. Well, none of us are pure in heart. The Bible teaches that clearly. What does he mean then? He means we're not duplicitous. We're not putting on a front. We're not fake. It's real, right? No fake spirituality. Pure in heart, you're going to see God. And Jesus lays out these values that he has for his kingdom. And then he comes down and gives this profound teaching that we spent the time in for the last several weeks. And he comes down from the mountain and he starts doing all these miracles. He's healing lepers. He's giving sight to the blind. Paralytics are walking. I mean... Not only life-giving words, not only love coming out and people being loved like they've never been loved before, but now these incredible signs and wonders that are just following Jesus as he speaks and brings life to everyone he comes to. And as he does, something amazing is happening. I mean, uh, we're now uh, a little ways into Jesus' ministry and now finally tons of people are starting to come. I mean, multitudes of people, big crowds are starting to throng around and just to come after Jesus. And they've heard, that there's this guy, he's teaching, it's amazing, these miracles, uh, they're all coming. And, you know, the disciples are like jazz, are like, yeah, this is what we've been waiting for. How amazing, look at all these people, Lord. This is good. And multitudes are coming. And now we pick up in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. If you're there, give me a big amen. And Jesus does something very interesting. Well, let's read. Let's see what he does. And when Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave a command to... What? To depart to the other side. What? I don't understand. What is going on? Jesus, why are you having him leave? Uh, He tells the disciples, guys, let's get out of here. Jesus, what is going on? We have titled the series that we're in, Unexpected Messiah. The reason is, he was not the Messiah everyone expected. All of the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come. But when he came, they were expecting him to come with power, with might, with glory, with total control and domination and take over the world. And instead, God becomes a man. And not just any man, a poor man. Homely. No beauty that we should desire him. He looked homely. He just looked regular. Not what we expected. Nor did he come with pomp and circumstance and all kinds of fanfare. No, no, no. He just came like a carpenter. Just living a regular life. Unexpected. And now, finally, his ministry is going. And once again, unexpected. What the heck? And I've titled the message today, Jesus, Crowds, and Storms. And uh, uh, I wish I could be more creative, but that was about the best I could come up with. Jesus, Crowds, and Storms. And here we're going to see how Jesus deals with all of these things. Uh, The first point that I would have us see here 
is beware of following crowds. Jesus is showing that to us. Beware of following the crowd. Jesus sees these huge crowds and he does something very odd. He says, guys, we're going to leave. And we have to ask the question, why? The Bible clearly tells us, right? Second Peter chapter 3, it tells us, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus, don't you want people knowing who you are? The disciples are baffled. I don't get it. What is going on? This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been longing for. It's finally happening, and now you want to leave? Don't you want all people saved? Well, sure. Well, then what's the problem, Jesus? Why are you leaving? Well, here's the problem. The crowds are now coming for the wrong reasons. They're coming for the wrong reasons. People heard Jesus was performing miracles and now they're coming to Jesus with wrong motives. Instead of seeking God, they're seeking what? Miracles. And Jesus says, I want no part of it. I want no part of it. It is interesting how this works in our life. You and I are not immune to this, by the way. Jesus is Lord, but it doesn't take long before we can turn him into a genie in our bottle. And we rub our lamp, we rub our bottle, not with a little icon, not with a little idol. We rub our bottle in prayer. And we bark out some pretty tough orders in prayer. Lord, help me with my business, and Lord, heal my this, and do this, and do this, and do this. You ever find yourself doing that? You ever listen to your own prayer life? You begin to wonder, who's God, and who's the servant? I always, I'm prone to it, and when I find myself telling God what to do in my prayer, I always go, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm doing it again. I'm telling you what to do as I'm praying. And the purpose of prayer is not for me to tell God what to do, but for me to align my life with what God wants to do. And here things get turned around. Jesus does encourage us to bring our problems and our requests to him, but we must remember that we are his servants and not vice versa. And we are prone to act as if Jesus exists for us. Let me just remind us of something. Jesus does not exist for you. You exist for Jesus. You were created because he loves you. Because he wanted to pour his love into you. And he hoped that love would touch your heart. And that you would want to love him back. But he is the Lord. And we are the servants. And I would encourage us to examine our prayer life. Jesus did not come to do the, uh, our will. Jesus came to do the Father's will. And he did not come to end illness or to end sickness or to give us a cush life. He came to save us of our sin. He came to die on a cross in our place. He came to make us holy. He came to bring us back into fellowship with God. He came to be our Lord, our authority, our boss, our leader, the one that we follow and submit our lives to. And I want you to notice something very interesting about Jesus' style here. I want you to pay attention to it. When people come to Jesus with wrong motives, 
he leaves. He leaves. He takes off. Jesus is not seeking big crowds. Jesus is not seeking popularity. Jesus is very secure in himself, and he's not out to get a lot of people to like him. He's seeking to change our hearts. He's seeking to save us of our sin. He is seeking for us to come into right relationship with him as the creator, as our authority. He is not seeking big crowds. And over and over, Jesus showed this in his ministry. One day, an entire crowd of religious leaders, both scribes, those were ones who uh, transcribed the Bible, scribes and Pharisees. Pharisees were religious leaders like pastors and teachers and that kind of thing. A big group of them come to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, show us your, you know, you got some claims going on. Show us some miracles and we'll believe that you're the Messiah. And here's what Jesus said to that. It's in Matthew 16. Uh, Look for me on the screens. Read this with me if you will. These are Jesus' words to their demand. Only an evil, let me hear you read, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then Jesus left them and went away. Same thing. What's that that he says? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign? Well, evil I could kind of understand. I mean, yeah, that's, you're not really doing too good, you're right? Yeah, you're kind of testing Jesus there. That's not a good thing to do. But how about adulterous? Why does he say adulterous? Why didn't he just say an evil generation seeks after signs? Why did he say adulterous? When we think of adultery, what do we think of? Cheating. Cheating, what kind of Cheating. Cheating on your taxes? No, marital cheating. Sleeping with someone else other than your spouse. Cheating on the love of your life. You're being unfaithful. Is Jesus talking about sexual sin here? No, what's he talking about? He's talking about cheating on God. Oh, when you come to God for miracles and signs and wonders and just to fix your problems, he says, you're sleeping with another God. That's not me. That's not who I am. And if you come to me for miracles and signs, you're like a cheating bride. You're unfaithful. You want a different God besides me. You're sleeping with someone else. That's not me. And here's what he says to them. He leaves them and he says, the only sign that you will see is the sign of the prophet Jonah. What was the sign of the prophet Jonah? Well, Jonah was swallowed by a whale for how long? Three days. And then he was barfed up on the shore of Nineveh and he went and preached to the Gentiles. Jesus Went into the grave for how long? Three days. And he resurrected and went and preached to who? The Gentiles. And he says, you want to see signs and wonders? You're not going to see any. The only sign you're going to see is my death and resurrection. And then me leave you guys and go to someone else and do the work in the Gentiles instead. Here's the crazy thing. 
If we seek Jesus for miracles and signs and to fix our problems, he says, I'm not into that, and he leaves. But here's the really cool thing. If we come to him for him, if we come to him because we want to know him, if we come to him because we've never heard words like this before, if we come to him because his teaching gives us wisdom and discernment and impacts our life, if we come to him because I can't believe how much he loves me and I want to know a God who loves me like that, here's what happens. We come to him for him and we see all kinds of signs and miracles and amazing things. But not to those who seek those things. Interesting interesting. I love Jesus' style. When people come to them with the wrong motives, he doesn't wrestle them. He doesn't argue with them. He just leaves. Jesus has warned us of this on multiple occasions. He's warned us about following the crowd, about being swayed by popular opinion, of being controlled by our peers and by society. And he's told us how dangerous it is. Oh, in politics today, oh, how wonderful it would be to have a leader who isn't swayed by popular opinion, who actually had core beliefs of just doing what was right and would do that no matter what came his way. And Jesus said, hey, be careful about going with popular opinion. Let's go back. Let's look again. Chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, look with me, if you will. Seven thirteen. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to where? Destruction. And there are many that go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few that find it. Notice his words. Broad is the way. Be careful about going with popular opinion. Be careful about going with the crowds because they're probably what? On the wrong path. Narrow and difficult is the road that leads to life. We often leave that word difficult out. We just say narrow is the road that leads to life. Narrow and difficult is the road. You've got to deny your flesh to be on that road. You can't always go with popular opinion on that road. Narrow and difficult is the road that leads to life, and few there are that find it. And here's the question for you. Are you following the crowd, or are you following Jesus? Don't answer too quickly. Think about it. Who is shaping your views in life? Where are your worldviews coming from? From society or from the Bible? Which one? Your views on morality, where did they come from? From society or from the Bible? Your views on gender, where are they coming from? Society or the Bible? Your views on entertainment, where are they coming from? Society or the Bible? When we watch all kinds of immorality on TV and murder and rape and stealing and all these things, and you say, it's just entertainment. Where are your views coming from? Society or the Bible? How about your views on marriage? Where are they coming from? The Bible or society? I read this week that Massachusetts just approved polyamory. 
polyamory is you can be married to multiple partners at the same time. And uh, uh, we see marriage just really being defined by the world. Uh, this one might sting a little bit. How about, what, where are your views on government financial aid coming from? Society or the Bible? Just because everybody's doing it, just because it's legal, doesn't mean it's right. And the intent of something might get clearly misused. How about this? Where are your views of church coming from? The Bible or society? Jesus is saying, hey, be careful. And notice what he's doing here. He is, he's not allowing the world to shape what his ministry looks like as he pulls back and pulls away. The danger that Christianity is facing today is not persecution. The church thrives under persecution. I'm not worried about persecution coming to the church. We will be just fine. The church has always just done really well in persecution. The danger that the church faces today is a departure from the Bible. Ex- uh, expository preaching and teaching are getting rare. People who actually study their Bibles are getting few. And I want you to know this. We cannot know the real Jesus without good Bible teaching, without reading our Bibles. It's just not possible. And here's the truth of it. We see it in what Jesus is doing right here. We cannot reinvent Jesus to fit our needs. And I am really concerned about pastors who are not running to where Jesus is, but are running to where the crowds are. And it is pretty prevalent. Whatever brings in more people, and then they make Jesus fit the mold that the crowd wants. Do you know what that is? Do you know what that is? Think about it. What is it? There's a picture of it in the Bible. You'll know it as soon as I tell you. Where has this happened before? Where we would actually change church to meet what we want instead of what God wants it to be. Where, where did that happen before? At the golden calf. Do you remember the golden calf? How did it happen? These were God's people. He delivered them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. They were all believers. Nobody was saying, I don't believe. They were all saying, woohoo, we're God's people. And then God calls Moses to Mount Sinai and says, Moses, I want to spend some time with you. And Moses up 40 days in in the mount with God and the people are saying, lost our leader. Let's make a golden calf. And here's what is so fascinating. If you go back and you read the story, what name did they give the golden calf? It'll startle you. You know what name they gave it? Yahweh. The covenant name of God with Israel. They remade God into the image that they wanted it to be. What is happening with Jesus right now is that the crowd is starting to form and come to him for the wrong reasons and Jesus says, I will not let you make me into what you want me to be. And he withdraws. 
he withdraws. And it is so important that we don't establish golden calves in our life uh, unknowingly. I'm going to say something that is going to be startling. It's going to sting a little bit. We have now introduced people to the cancer of online church. It's a golden calf. And I know a lot of you are listening online right now. I totally get it. I understand. Please hang in there with me just for a moment before you go click the internet off and go do something else. Because you're mad at what I just said. Online church is not real church. Do you know why? One reason and one reason only. Because we're not together. Church is not an event. Church is not a place. Church is us. Coming together, we are the church. Together. And God's design is spectacular. He calls the church the body of Christ. And if you think of a physical body of Jesus, you're missing the picture. He's calling the church the body of Christ. What does it mean? Well, here's what it means. Tom, you have a spiritual gift. And Sarah, you have a spiritual gift. And every single one of us here has a spiritual gift. And together, we come together, and all the gifts of the Spirit are here, and they represent now the body of Christ. You see, Robert has gifts that I don't have. And Joe has gifts that I don't have. And Kevin has gifts that I don't have. And I need Kevin's gift. And I need Joe's gift. And together, we come together to worship Jesus and to serve each other. And all of the gifts start functioning together in one body. And the love of Jesus Christ is revealed not only to us, but to the whole world. And that is real church. And this is God's will for us. We are the church body. You know what online church was meant for? You know why we do online church? Online church was meant to be a temporary solution to the shutdown that was ordered by the government. It wasn't meant to be the new thing. It was meant to be a temporary solution to the shutdown by the government. But now things have opened back up again. And the Mission Church has continued and will continue to have online church for people with health issues. And if you're at home right now and you're listening and you're, you, you know, you're at risk, hey, no problem. You are in the center of God's will. Thank you so much for tuning in. And this is church for you. I'm glad you're listening. That is wonderful. The book of Ecclesiastes makes it very clear. There is a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to gather and a time to refrain from gathering. And if you're at health risk, if you're sick, if you have COVID, hey, stay home, listen online. There's a time for that. But it's only a season. 
it's not real church. And again, no problem if you're there. But here's where I do have a problem. Many of you who are totally healthy are still not in fellowship. And you go to restaurants and you go shopping, but you don't go to church. How do you explain that? You are making a golden calf. And I want you to know something. What was blessing you for a while, he will not keep blessing you in. If you come to him with wrong motives, he departs. And what fed you and blessed you for a while will not sustain because you are out of his will. You say, well, how do you know we're out of this? Well, maybe this is just progression. Maybe it's just evolution. Maybe it's just the way it is. Well, you know, what's wrong with this? I'm still studying the Bible. Blah, 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 blah. Well, let me just tell you, this isn't my opinion. I'm not preaching my opinion. I would never preach my opinion. This is what the Bible says. And let's look at it together. It's very clear. Hebrews 10, on your screens. Hebrews 10, 24. Let me hear you read this together, church. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Notice it doesn't start off with this. Let us consider ourselves. I really like waking up in the morning, staying in my PJs, and watching church from my couch. It's so convenient. And if I want to go to the beach, I can go to the beach. I'll watch it later. And if I want to go shopping, I'll go shop. If I want to go to brunch, I'll go to brunch. And uh, you know what? I don't really like all the people anyway. <laughs> I can do church online and just be all by myself. That's a golden calf. That's not the real Jesus. That's not the real church. And he will depart. You better be careful. And this verse tells us, let us not consider ourselves. No, it says, let us consider what? One another. Because Kevin has gifts I need. I was so blessed this morning. Someone came in. I hadn't seen they walked in. I've been praying for them. I haven't seen them in a long time. I'm not sure how they're doing. They come in. I'm concerned. They come in and I'm like, amazing. Lord, you are so good. And after I greet them and hug them, do you know what I do? I go off just for a moment into a prayer closet and I just say, Lord, you're amazing. Thank you. And my heart was edified by that person. And he says, hey, listen, it's not about you. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And do not say, I'll just study my Bible at home. As such is the manner of some. But instead, exhort one another. What does exhorting mean? What is, we don't use that word very well. What does that mean? Encourage. Encourage each other. And church, I don't know how it works. It defies logic to me. It makes more sense to me that if I would just serve myself, I'd be the happiest. But here's what I found out. You can't argue God's ways. They just work. And when you take what God's given you and you give it away freely, you just give it freely to others. I don't care what he's given you. Whatever your gifts are. You might, it might be money. It might be time. It might be kindness. It might be prayer. It might be 
uh, uh, you're a card writer. It might be you're a server. It might be you're a teacher. I don't care what. When you just give away whatever it is God gives you, just give it away to others. I don't know how it works, but your life gets so much richer. I can't explain it. All I can say is come and taste and see and experience it. I just know it to be true. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. And uh, I'm concerned about this cancer that we have introduced into the church called online church. It's terminal. And if we learn anything from the internet, we learn this. That whatever goes to the internet never comes back. Just ask department stores, CD manufacturers, and booksellers. And so we better be careful. We better be careful. It is no coincidence that there, or, there was an order that came out this week and said, you can't sing and worship God in church. And I'll just follow Peter's words in the Bible that says, hey, if it's right to obey man or God, you decide. As for me, I'm worshiping the Lord. Amen. Now, hey, we'll wear a mask and we'll submit to the authority that's over us to the best of our ability. But if it comes to between obeying God or disobeying God, it's not a question anymore. And listen, man, we want to be careful about what's going on. I want you to notice what happens here. Uh, take note. Jesus leaves the crowds. He does not allow people to redefine him. He does not allow people to redefine his ministry. I don't have a healing ministry. I don't have a miracle ministry. That's not what I'm about. Yes, I care for you. And yes, I will heal you. But I have a saving ministry. I go, I'm, I'm coming to teach you. And then I'm going to the cross to die for you. So that you might have your sins forgiven. And your, my righteousness imparted to you. That you might be in fellowship with me. And the moment we try to make it something else. Jesus says, I'm departing. And I'll go somewhere else. May the Lord help us. May we, not, may we check our motives as we come to him. May we examine our prayer life as we pray. Uh, may we take note. Take note of Jesus' ways. Jesus leaves the crowd. Jesus left them and he went to other people. May it never be so with us. Amen? I want to close uh, with uh, this next passage of Scripture. Uh, verse 19 through 22 we read last week. So let's close with this passage in, in verse 23. And uh, uh, some interesting things happen here. Uh, let's look at this. Verse 23. So uh, 18 and 23 go together really well. Like he commands the disciples to leave, right? And so here's what happened. Now 23. Now when he gets into the boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose. A tempest is just a giant storm. A great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves. Luke's gospel actually says the boat started filling up with water and sinking. But he, that's Jesus, was asleep. God must have been dog tired. Right? Just dog tired. Have you ever done that? You ever fall asleep in like the most dorky spots? Your head up against the wall, you know, and you're like, and you wake up, you go, oh, my neck, man, it's because you're so tired. I mean, Jesus was just dog. It shows you how hard he was working as he ministered to all the people. Verse 25. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, and they said, Lord, save us. We are perishing. These are experienced fishermen. 
These aren't newbies. These aren't, you know, just little soft guys. These are experienced fishermen. This must have been a raging of a storm. I mean, where the boat is almost capsizing. I mean, where they are tossed to and fro. Uh, It must have been really bad. Verse 26. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? I want you to do something for me. If you've got your Bibles open and a pen in hand, circle the words fearful and circle the words faith. Circle both of those words and then draw a little line to connect those two words. Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. Can you imagine? The storm is raging, waves coming over, the boat is half full of water, the guys are afraid, they're being tossed to and fro, they're getting knocked this way and knocked this way. And Jesus says, with no fanfare, with no drama, he just says, why are you afraid? Where's your faith? And then he goes, shh. And the Sea of Galilee, becomes a sheet of glass. Can you imagine? And look what happens. Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and the sea and there was great calm. If you're a Bible scholar, you might want to read Psalm 107. Uh, It's a great passage to go along with this. We don't have time to look at it together, but maybe on your own. Verse 27. So the men marveled saying, who can this be? That even the winds and the sea obey him. What's the answer to that question? There's no other answer. There's no other answer. He's God. I want to close giving you five quick tips for dealing with storms as life, for dealing with storms in life as a Christian. This is only for Christians. It doesn't make sense for anyone else. But as a Christian, five quick tips that we'll go through and then we'll take communion together. The first one is simply this. Storms are a regular part of life. They're just a regular part of life. No one is immune. Don't freak out. The disciples weren't doing something wrong, and that's why a storm came. They were in the center of God's will. They were doing exactly what Jesus said. Everything was good with them and God. God wasn't mad at them. God wasn't upset with them. Nothing was wrong, and they're in the middle of the storm. Storms are a regular part of life. No one is immune. Don't freak out when you're going through one. Storms actually often happen when we follow Jesus. A few weeks ago I mentioned, hey, in the morning, don't start your day with your phone. First thing you grab, you kind of wake up and you grab the phone, you check Instagram or you do whatever you're going to do. Instead, I said, start with the Bible. And I got a lot of feedback from a bunch of you saying, hey, I'm doing that every morning and it's making such a difference. And I love that. Way to go. Way to go. I'm starting my day in prayer. I'm starting my day in God's Word. But here's what I know. Sometimes that you do that and it starts off, you know, like say, hey, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, man. I'm going to, I'm going to start every day. Instead of grabbing my phone, I'm going to grab my Bible. And I'm going to spend time praying. And I'm going to serve people. 
And I'm going to tell one person about Jesus every day of the week. And you start off and you've got to turn over this new leaf. Lord, I just want to, I want to walk with you, man. I want to experience you in my life. And so you're gung-ho and you're excited and you start. And you're like, man, this is great. And so you start doing it. And day one goes good. Day two goes good. Day five goes good. But day six happens. And man, you get a ticket on the way to work. And then you get to work and your computer crashes right in the middle of a super important Zoom meeting. And you're like, oh, no, I'm going to lose that account. What the heck? And you come home from work that day and you find out the washer machine hose blew up and your whole house is flooded. And you're like, God, I don't understand. I was trying to follow you. I wake up, I read my Bible. I don't look at Instagram. I just, I just don't understand. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to get up in the morning and look at Instagram. <laughs> you know what that is? That is fickle faith. That is shallow faith. God, I'm only going to follow you when everything goes well. That's not a real relationship with your creator. I want you to know that the same people who yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna on Friday, yelled, crucify him, crucify him on Sunday when things got tough. That's not real faith. And we need to be careful. Following Jesus is not the easy life. It's not the storm-free life. Storms are a regular part of life for both Christians and heathen, unbelievers. But hold your course because the storm will pass. Not that big a deal. Not that big a deal. God's word abides forever. If you build your house on it, God will build you. He will use you. He will give you wisdom. He will give you discernment. It doesn't matter if you doing it for one week and you didn't see the results you were waiting for. Hey, no problem. No problem. Just hold fast. Hold fast. Here's a good verse for us to hold on to uh, when we're in that storm and we're wondering what's going on. Uh, Galatians 6.9. Let's look at this together. Read it with me, church. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In the middle of a storm, Jesus says, Hey, buckaroo, just settle down a little bit. Not that big a deal. You'll get through this. It will pass. Relax. Relax. And it's uh, just part of life. Storms do something interesting, by the way, as a Christian. They keep us following Jesus for selfish reasons. If you find that uh, you get in a little storm, you find out you have cancer, you say, well, I'm not following Jesus anymore. Well, you might be following, you might have never been following, right? I mean, uh, the multitudes came for selfish gain, and Jesus left, uh, has said, I want no part of that. Um, anyway, uh, they're just a regular part of life. Hold tight. The second thing I want, to, want you to see in this as a Christian is Jesus is sovereign even over the storms. When we face a storm, it may often seem like Jesus is asleep in the boat. You're like, hello, God, are you even there? I mean, I've been praying about this for a long time. I mean, I've been looking for a mate for a long time. Lord, I'm still single. I'm here. Hello, are you even awake? Where are you, God? 
God, I've been trying to get pregnant for a long time. Three of my kids have had, I mean, three of my kids, three of my friends have had babies. Uh, Lord, I'm still not pregnant. I mean, what's going on? Lord, are you even, are you awake? Where are you, Lord? Lord, I've been waiting on you to do this. I mean, I, I know this, uh, I know this is a good thing. I'm at, uh, Lord, what's going on? Where are you? Mark's gospel adds something very interesting in the story of the storm with the disciples. The disciples ask this question. Do you not even care that we are perishing? Those were the first words they said to Jesus when he woke him up. Do you not even care that we're about to die? Jesus answered with another question. They asked him a question. Two questions were asked. Their question, don't you even care that we're going to die? Jesus, oh, really? I have a question for you. Where is your faith? Why are you afraid? Two questions. Here's what I'd like you to consider. Look at the disciples' questions and Jesus' questions now that he calmed the sea and which one looks ridiculous. Which question looks crazy? Just. And it brings us to the next point. I asked you to circle two words. Fear and faith. And here's why. Because fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive. They're mutually exclusive. I can't say I have faith and be in fear. And I can't have fear and say I have faith. They're mutually exclusive. And Jesus says, hey, why are you a fear? Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? Look at the difference between the disciples' response to the storm and Jesus' response to the storm. How could Jesus be at such peace in the middle of this raging storm? How could he be resting How could he be at such peace when the others thought the world was coming to an end and their life was about, they were about to die? How could he be at such peace in the midst of a raging storm? Well, there's a reason for that. And it really has nothing to do with what's happening in the storm. It really has everything to do with what was happening before the storm. You see, before the storm, Jesus was in prayer. Jesus was in the center of God's will. Jesus was focused on God. So focused that when all the people came and said, hey, we want to, we, you're amazing. We want to, he says, no, 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 no. You're coming to me for the wrong reasons. I want no part of this. He was so in tune that he had wisdom and discernment that he didn't get caught up and enamored in himself in the prosperity. He was praying. He was abiding. He was focusing on the father's will. And because of that, when the storm came, he was able to rest. And here's my point. A man of God can rest during the storm because he was in prayer during the calm. Many of us don't really pray until when? Until the storm. And it doesn't work that way. A man of God can rest during the storm because he was in prayer during the calm. 
He was doing the will of God during the calm. He was abiding in God with it during the calm. And so he can rest during the storm. Hey, I want you to know something. The time to mend the sails is not when the wind is blowing. When the wind is blowing, it's time to sail. The time to mend the sails is in the calm. And if you mend the sails in the calm, you will enjoy the sailing much more. Does that make sense? I'm not talking about sailing, right? We know that, right? <clears throat> Too often we only pray when there's a storm. We only read our Bible when there's a storm. Lord, I have cancer. What does the Bible say about cancer? Lord, my wife left me. What does the Bible say about my wife leaving me? Well, it's a little late is what it says. It's a little late. The fifth and final point that I'd like to leave you with, and then we'll take communion. Our awe of Jesus permanently increases after the storm. I love this. I love this. The disciples were already, they were already in awe of Jesus. They were in awe of Jesus for his teaching. They were all in awe of Jesus for the way they were loved by him. They were in awe of Jesus for how he gave them life profound, life-changing words that changed their course, that made their marriage better and their parenting better and their work better and everything. I mean, it's just words that worked for life, wisdom, discernment. They were already in awe of Jesus for what he, the men that he was making them become as he was growing and building them. But now they are in awe of him as being God. As being outside of creation. As being sovereign over everything. As the creator of the universe. Look what they say. They marveled. And they said. Who can this be. That even the winds and the sea obey him. That wasn't a question they were asking an answer for. It was a rhetorical question. They're going. Oh my gosh. I am sitting next to God almighty. It was a revelation that they came to. And our awe of Jesus' glory will permanently change after we go through the storm. For me, it happened on a lunch. I was at Lucadia Pizza on the 101. I was there with a missionary from Africa. And I got a call. My middle son, Nathan, was involved in a horrible accident. He was our youth pastor at the time. He went skating with some kids who were, uh, he was, you know, ministering to. Uh, they were skating to a taco shop to plan a ministry event. They went down a very steep hill and had a turn at the bottom. They tried to get enough speed where they could turn to the bottom and go up the hill. My son, Nathan's not really a great skater. He's skating with them because they skate. He can skate, but I mean, he's not like... You know, not like a skate rat. And he goes down this hill at a high rate of speed and gets the speed wobbles and crashes at the bottom and hits the back of his head and completely caves in the back of his skull. Crushed it in completely. The impact was so severe that there was severe brain injury to the back of the skull. The skull had so much impact that the impact came in this way, crushed this side of the skull, crushed in this way just from the impact 
crushed it in here and had a jagged cut uh, uh, skull fracture there that cut into the brain and severed a main artery to the brain. The fracture came in this way and pushed the whole brain off center so that now this side of the brain was hitting on this side of the skull. And so all four quadrants of the brain were severely damaged because the front side had the trampoline effect. When it hit here, the brain rebounded and hit the frontal lobe. And all four sides of his brain were severely damaged. And he had a huge brain bleed and went into shock immediately. They had to intubate him on the spot. I don't mean shock like he was shocked. I mean went into seizures immediately. And they had to intubate him on the spot. And I get a call in Locadia Pizza Uh, Your son's been in a horrific accident. You need to get here right away. I rushed down to the hospital, and it was, the hospital actually had someone there waiting for me, and I knew I was in trouble. They took me into a room, and they told me, we don't know if your son's going to make it, and if he does make it, we don't know what kind of son you're going to have when this is over. He has severe brain injuries. And by God's grace, they got him from the accident site to the operating table in under two hours. I'm so thankful for those people who were involved in his life. And I don't have time to tell you the whole story. I wish that we did, but I have never seen God move so powerfully. And it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. It was a time I wouldn't wish on anybody, but I look back and I go, Lord, it's unbelievable how you moved during that time. I led more people to Jesus during those few weeks of my life than at any other time in my life and it wasn't because I was trying it was just happening and we watch God do a miraculous work in this boy's life like it was nothing less than miraculous from the love that was displayed as over a hundred people were in the waiting rooms 24 7 until the wee hours of the morning the hospital staff would ask me every day is this guy really famous and i'd say no that's just the love of christ that's the church family and they would stay all day long in the waiting room 70 to 100 people all the time bringing food just love like never amazing just amazing i was deeply moved And to this day, I have a Lazarus living in my house. He doesn't live with me, but you know. I have a Lazarus in my house. And I know not every storm has that kind of ending. I have other storms in my life that didn't have that kind of ending. But here's what I want you to know. No matter what the ending of the storm, here's what I know. If you are abiding in Christ, we will come out of the storm in awe of Jesus' glory. And it will permanently increase like we have never seen it before. He will show himself strong in your life. And so may we hold fast. And may we abide in him. And may we realize what we're able to do right now as we come together and he says, hey, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what? Remember what? Remember that God left heaven and emptied himself of all of his glory and all of his privilege to become a man So that he could go to the cross and take the punishment of your sin, my sin, upon his own shoulders. That he might freely give you his righteousness as a free gift. That you might understand how incredible his love is for you. 
so that as you walk through this stormy season called life, your eyes would be on him and you would know that he is with you. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.